Hi everyone, my name is Michaela, and this is the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast, Heartfelt Consciousness, where we spotlight stories from our community to uplift the collective consciousness. Thank you for being here and enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast, Heartfelt Consciousness. My name is Michaela. We have again with us today, Shiva. We're going to pick up a little bit on some of the conversational topics we chatted about in our first episode. And don't worry, she'll be back for many more. Uh, Shiva, how are you today? I am wonderful. Thank you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Buongiorno, supravadam. Good day, guten tag, welcome, ni hao. And uh, yes, welcome, Michaela. <laughs> beautiful, what a beautiful introduction. I loved that. Um, did you want to start with an invocation like we did for the last episode? Yes, beautiful, thank you. Of course. Oh. Mm. Paramparaya Vidmahi, Jnana Lingeshwaraya Dhimahi, Tanno Guru Prachotayati, Om Akhanda Mandala Karam, Vyaptam Yena Characharam, Tatpadam Darshitam Yena, Tasmai Shri Guru Venamaha, Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Devo Maheshwaraha, Guru Sakshat Parabrahma, Tasmai Shri Guru Venamaha, Omekadantam Mahakayam Taptakanchana Sannibham Lambodharam Visalaksham Vande Gangananayakam Om Bhurbhuvaswa Tatsavitur Varenyam Bhargo Devasya Dhimahi Dhiyoyona Prachotayat Om Anandamai Chaitanyamai Satyamai Parameshwari Om Namo Bhagavate Shri Aravindayate Namo Namaha Om Yoga Chakravarti Dr. Swami Shivaganga Nandagiri Guru Maharaj Ki Jai Gurveshari Shri Matre Namaha Thank you, Shiva. You have a beautiful voice. I could listen to you sing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, what a beautiful way to start the episode. Okay, wonderful. Last episode, you gave us a beautiful and lovely introduction to your your journey, your relationship with yoga, even before you knew it was yoga. <laughs> and so today, I'd love to kind of continue that that exploration of you know your your journey with the named you know philosophical kind of ideas that in western the western world that we're introduced to when we take something like a yoga teacher training or something like that um so i'd love to talk a little bit about the eight limbs and what that brings up for you oh beautiful uh, you know this 
I love how every teacher training, or at least the ones in MVP, <laughs> I don't know about uh, the others, but I love how here, the first thing that is touched upon is that these, you know, eight limbs. And, you know, it gives a beautiful definition as to what, you know, what this whole thing is about. And I'm all about breaking definitions. So I'm all about reframing and, um, you know, just breaking out of the box sort of thing. But before we can even do all of that, we have to bring, a, bring some sort of a shape or some sort of a, a structure to what, to what, to our lives, right? So, and that structure which Maharishi Patanjali has so beautifully given us is that yamaniyamasana pranayama pratyahara dharana dhyana samadhi, you know, nishtan nishta. So that, that, that sutra that is there in the, in the yoga sutras and, and very early on, he doesn't wait until, you know, <laughs> at the end to go, oh, by the way, this is what it is, which kind of, it, my, my journey kind of feels like that, you know, it's like 20 years of something, something. And by the way, you know, that, that's, that's Ashtanga Yoga. <laughs> um, but uh, it's so beautifully given, that structure is so nicely given uh, right in the beginning when, um, when uh, Patanjali Muni, you know, lays out the whole, the whole uh, yoga sutras. So it is, it's really beautiful. And, and I feel the right way to approach, you know, if any sort of like formal study, because that's how it's done here, right? It's uh, first we study and then through the study, the experience, you know, it just comes as we apply it. So experience is not going to come unless we apply it something right it while we are studying from the yoga sutras whether it's from a book or whether you're listening um an instruct listening to an instructor or something that's that's just going to remain as you know oh now i know this extra piece of information it's just going to be information or knowledge right so until we apply that into our lives and then with that application this information and knowledge will slowly transcend, trans, you know, trans, transform into what we call wisdom. And then along with that wisdom, once, once it becomes wisdom, it's like, oh, there's this thing that I can integrate into my day-to-day -day life, right? Everyday life. We're not, none of us are here to pick up this uh, yoga sutras and then go, okay, that's it. I'm going to become a sannyasi. I'm going to go into the mountains and the caves. And there are so many caves in Texas, you know, like I'm going to go to the inner space caverns or I'm going to go <laughs> into whatever other cave and sit there and meditate for the rest of my life. We're not going to do that. We're not going to completely withdraw from the world. And, and, you know, while that is one path, prime, the, the majority of us, here are going to stay in the world and practice. And that's, that's, that's where, you know, that's where the experience kicks in. When we have that wisdom and then we integrate it into, into our lives. It's not like I'm doing something new. I'm rearranging my whole life in order to accommodate to yoga. There's no, that, that doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Maybe initially we'll have to, you know, cause 
because we're making some changes. It might seem like that, but slowly, slowly, as you know, life goes on, as as new experience, as new you know things take shape, then as new um, new what do you call it experiences or new uh, events happen in our lives, then this whatever that we have learned, this wisdom that we have gained from whatever we have studied will get integrated into. And then the experience starts flowing and then comes awareness. Awareness of that all this is happening, you know, that the, the point where we are able to step away from that, like sort of out of body kind of thing, like I'm able to step aside and, and watch myself go through all of this, right? That, that experience, it sort of unfolds. Then you see this unfolding and awareness. And, and then things become so simple because we're not fighting the, the fight. We're not running away from anything. We're not, you know, swimming against the waterfall or swimming up the waterfall or nothing. It's the flow is there. I am able to step out and see that flow. I can step back in and feel that integration. And uh, everything starts to sort of trickle down to a very, what do you call that, titrate. Everything starts to titrate. And then we realize that in the end, it's just, it's just light. It's just love. It's, there is beauty in everything. And slowly we are able to see that beauty. And it doesn't mean that there will not be any uh, difficult experiences, that there will not be any emotions, that I'm going to be in bliss and sitting on the clouds all the time. No, that's, that, that's not what it means and that's not what one should expect either in fact going into this with some sort of expectation itself is setting yourself up for disappointment right whenever there is any that's what they say right like expectation is the mother of disappointment you go you won't get any so the coming into this one must know or uh, realize that there is work to be done so this whole yogic journey is not such a smooth, oh, you know, what Michelle calls it, the yoga voice. It's, it's, I come in with the yoga voice and now I'm all in bliss. It's not like that. It's real life, right? It's not like we are changing something to become that bliss, but rather we are integrating our entire life including all the hardships that we've gone through, including all the healing. And we're, in, you know, we're mixing it all up and smoothening it out within us so that everything becomes clear. And this eight-limbed path is one thing that has been laid out so nicely for us that when we follow this yogic path, um, this process and the clarity uh, becomes one that is, you know, achievable and, and easy to, to sort of attain. I mean, I'm using the wrong word here. It's not that there's no achievement or attainment really here, but uh, for lack of another, a better word, if, if you have a better word, please, please uh, help me out here. 
You're able to, to clearly connect to it. Connect to, correct. Beautiful. Yes. Connect to that particular thing, that, that, that thing or that process or that, that life that is already there within us. So this eight-limbed path, you know, it's, it's nicely laid out for us by, by Patanjali Muni and it's, it's a system that works, you know, and it has worked for God knows how many years, um, for all of time. It's timeless. It's a timeless science. So it really is a science because one can prove all of these things and has been in very many different ways, right? So it is really a science. And um, so the eight-limbed path is something that, you know, is beautiful, that we are all on many times, whether we know it or not, right? In my case, I didn't know it, but that cleansing happened. So what are these eight limbs? That will be your question, right? So. <laughs> yes. So Shiva, with that beautiful introduction, which I love and First of all, before we move on, I feel like, I don't know if you intended to do this, but the whole time you were talking about that process of learning and developing and cultivating that, being able to step into the seat of the observer and see what's happening, mirrors so beautifully the practice that we have on the mat, at least as it was introduced to me. The ability to put yourself in these situations and to notice what comes up and then decide how to respond. Yes. Oh, thank you. You. This is so real and true that I think a lot of people have awareness of now. It's so beautiful how it has, you know, uh, shaped that way. Just because through that asana practice, everyone comes onto the mat and okay, let me put myself in this really difficult pose or something that is very challenging, and then try to you know move away like put myself in the seat of the observer so so nicely you put that so sort of peel yourself away and and just see what comes up and just be with it right so this happens on the mat a lot or even even in i mean we we talk about the mat because of like yoga asanas you know in a yoga class but even for other athletes doing other uh, uh, sports, this, like, let's say, take a long, long distance runner or a marathon runner, for instance, there is that point where that push, and then they'll drop out of their, that thinking mind. And then everything just flows, right? I've heard a lot of my friends talk about, about this. When, when I asked them, like, how do you do marathons and, you know, double marathons and ultra marathons and things like that? How do you just keep going? And this is their experience, right? And so then how do you practice up to that? Then they go, it's just a practice. You just do it until you get there, right? So it's not just yoga asana class, but any sort of, you know, uh, athlete or, or any sort of hard, difficult thing like rock climbing or, you know, anything really. So it's very nice that this awareness has, has sort of started coming up. Where I find the, the work still needs to be done is when we are not in anything that's moving. Here, we talk about the mat. So 
we're doing all these asanas, very challenging poses, you know, standing on our head, doing shirsasana, doing, you know, sarvangasana or, or titibhasana or some, whatever it is, all these difficult things. And then we are practicing, okay, I need to, you know, and then once, once we did that, we feel so good, we go out and then we're driving home and someone cuts in front of us, right? And then this rage comes up. So that same awareness needs to, you know, infiltrate into every single part, every single element of our lives. So that is where the work needs, needs to happen still. Um, because yoga is not just about whatever happens in the studio. You know, the studio is actually a very safe space. I mean, of course, as teachers, we, that, that's our job, right? To hold that space. So someone is always holding space for you, right? So in general, if we have a good uh, yoga instructor there, uh, you know, guiding and leading the class, um, then, and they're holding good space, then that is actually a very safe space for us to practice in. When we go out of that, who is holding space for us? ourselves right so that practice really needs to come in that one needs to hold space for oneself always and as yoga teachers or whoever is doing you know because this is where we get introduced right into this so everything that we get introduced to all these concepts and all these philosophies we are there tra training to become a yoga teacher so Many a time, the practice is, okay, I need to hold space for others. It's always outward. One forgets that the first person that one needs to hold space for is oneself. So this practice of being on the mat needs to come off the mat as well. Because really, that is where the real application happens. If we can do it seamlessly outside, then on the mat, there will be, it, it, it won't even be a thing. It won't even be a matter at all, right? But it's a wonderful place to start the mat. So we start there and then we have to remember to continue it through the rest of our day, every day. If, if we come to the mat every day, that whole day, if we come to the mat once a week, then for the rest of the week, it does not matter how many times we come to the mat. Because that practice is ongoing and it happens at every minute, every second, every microsecond, every timestamp that <laughs> you want to be aware of. Every time we breathe, that prana is ha happening every single time that I'm taking an, an inhalation. And every time I breathe out, that practice is always there. So being able to, can I step out of that thinking mind at any moment, you know, on cue. Can I do that? You know how actors, they, they, they train and practice that they can cry on cue? Like that. Can I drop out of this mind on cue? This is something, it's a question that we have to ask ourselves, right? So before going into all the wow, wonderful, um, uh, you know, the, the deep philosophies and the, and the Veda and the Vedanta and, and all those things, one needs to really, you know, bring ourselves to that foundation.
I, that was beautiful. Holding space for oneself. Yes. Yes. That's something I say often. I do a self-love and gratitude workshop once a month for MVP. And I was able to learn how to hold that space for myself by doing it for other people first, which seems a little backwards, right? But kind of like you said, um, we start on the mat. It's when you start to take it off of the mat. And I love that you used road rage because road rage is a big one for me. (laughs) That is where I practice so often is in the car. Yes. Um, Absolutely. Because as much as it would be wonderful to be able to go and sit on a mountain without any of these worldly kind of distractions, um, that would be really wonderful, but that's not where we are. (laughs) Actually, there is so much of... uh... You know, I feel I feel mis misperception, yeah, uh, misconception okay. about this whole sitting on the mountain thing. Okay. <laughs> Until you do it, you have no idea how difficult it actually is. Yeah. We're all blessed to have these distractions. Interesting you know? perception. Ooh, tell me more. Okay. Because that really going up into the Himalayas, you you, you can listen to so many of these uh, yogis who have gone and tried to stay there, they will recount how tough that practice or that way of life is. And so many who are there who say that, you know, I, I, I wish I could go back, but I am too entrenched in this already. This, I, I wish I could go back. I, this is not the life for me. I wish I didn't come here. There are many who are in that state even, you know, we, we all think sitting here we think that you know like something like the grass is greener on the other side it's that concept so we think that oh you know I have all these things to do I have all these distractions I'm not able to sit even for five minutes you know in peace and silence what makes us think that we can do that when we are up in the cold mountains when one has to fight or rather it, it really brings us down to like basic survivals can we sit in in that extreme weather in extreme conditions and just be without our mind going all over the place because there's really nothing else to do you know all these distractions that we call distractions are really uh sort of i i look at them you know i I like to visualize things so i look at them as like things that hold the mind's hand. You know, the mind wants to grab onto something all the time. So all these quote-unquote distractions or things that we have to do against quote-unquote things that we are doing are all things that hold or support. And here I'm showing in the, I mean, you can see in the video, but uh, I'm holding my hand underneath so that the mind's hand is on top, you know, grasping the, you know, clenching the hand on top. So all these so-called distractions are holding the hand underneath and supporting the hand of the mind and just going, okay, you want to go in this direction? Okay, I'll take you there. Kind of like, um, you know, you have this little toddler who wants to run around, but still cannot, you know, really walk very steadily. So then the parent or the adult or, or an older sibling, whoever, will come and hold the hand of the little child and just go wherever the child wants to go. That is the job. That's kind of how I visualize all these distractions that we have. 
so called distract i'm i'm using the word distractions again quote and quote all these things that we're doing until this little child or that mind is ready to go okay i don't know i don't really want to go anywhere i just want to sit here then in order to just sit and be still you don't need to hold it onto any anybody's hand right so until that point we really um we really need all these these things to do and being in within the world it's really a helpful thing having all these so called problems that come at us that we we problem solve on a daily basis these are all tools or hand holders that are there to come in like okay here you go and sometimes when the challenges get really strong that is when this hand holder is pulling the mind in one direction that's why you know the the everything becomes so big and like so so ah i can't i can't handle this i don't want i don't know what to do when we are fighting when we are fighting something that's when the problem becomes so big in our minds right so maybe one can look at it as oh maybe i'm not supposed to go in that to the right maybe i need to go to the left right and this this guide is yanking me in this direction and i'm trying to still go in in the opposite direction so then there is some sort of a a dissonance there right and if you really not meant to go in that direction then the universe will just pull keep pulling you right keep throwing roadblocks and keep throwing all these problems at you until you you know knock out of it and realize hey this is where i'm supposed to maybe that's not where i'm supposed to be right now and you know fall into the flow and then see that hey my god this is so beautiful why was i suffering so long you know so really sitting we we keep saying oh i just wish i could just drop everything and go i just wish i could do nothing and you know be but really how many of us are are we 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 will be we would probably enjoy that for a day two days three days maybe a week by then i mean have you ever tried going on a on a holiday where you did nothing after a while you get bored you know right you're like oh i need i need to do something that's a really good point and i really appreciate you for sharing that but i i'm going to see you forever miming the holding the brain's hands because that's such a great visual and it's so right because immediately i thought of being in a in a yin class right and like the stories that start to come up in my head because i'm feeling a lot of physical sensation and my my mind doesn't want to just sit there and be there in that i'd rather explore yes um, yes gorgeous and i think that that's this is all kind of a beautiful lead up into starting to talk about the eight limbs specifically and what they are and the first one so do you want to give us a little introduction to the eight limbs and then maybe we can dive in a little to to number 1 oh yes thank you so you see uh what we would talk okay i'll come back to that so when we talk about this eight limbs you know the sanskrit term is actually ashta anga so that has been translated into eight limbs all right so again i i like to visualize and i and i find i find 
understanding it is so much easier when there is a visual. Um, and I've seen that, I think that's the case for many people as well. When these abstract concepts are, are there, are explained, there's only so much explaining can do uh, when there is a picture. You know, a picture speaks a thousand words, right? So that, that, that visual really, really helps. And so when I look at Ashta, or when, when Ashtanga is, you know, sometimes translated as uh, the eighth limb and sometimes translated as the eight steps, on this path. Uh, but really, <laughs> are these eight limbs separate? No. So the way I like to see it as Ashta Anga, eight parts, but really they are not separate parts. They, I like to look at it as a wheel. Now, Ananda, no, he, he mentioned, uh, he gave this, this, this visual and it stuck with me. This wheel and the eight so-called limbs are the spokes of that wheel. Eight spokes in a wheel. So even if one spoke is gone, that wheel is going to be not as strong. The other visual is like a chain. You know, you have those... Uh, the, the like those bikers they have those chain that chain type of bracelets like chain links chain links yes chain links chain links so each one is a chain link and so the weakest link in any sort of formation is no ah, any formation is only as strong as the weakest link yes so if we put each link as this, as each of the elements in, or each aspect in Ashtanga Yoga, then that entire, the entire, in its entirety, it forms this beautiful chain, right? Or that beautiful wheel with the spokes. Now, the first, the, the foundations of anything are very, very important. And a lot of times we like to skip through foundations, right? But really how important it is cannot be emphasized enough. The thing about yoga in, as a process is that it works. That's it, period, it works. Whether you know it, whether you don't know it, whether you understand it, whether you don't understand it. This is a process that works. And so what it does is all these practices, they take whoever you are and make you a more amplified version of that, a more intense version of that. So if one is you know, skipping the foundations and jumping straight into the more advanced practices, like, uh, like even pranayama or, or even asana, right? What happens there is that it will enhance and strengthen and intensify whatever that person is. So what are these eight limbs? 
Maharishi Patanjali has beautifully laid them out. Right? Yama, Niyama, Asana, Pranayama, Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana and Samadhi. Samadhi, this is the whole process to attain or go towards Kaivalya. That is moksha, realization, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that, that realization that one is whole, that purnatvam, uh, that one is whole as one is um, with it. And this entire journey is one that is that goes with it. Right? So many times I've seen this depicted as like ladders or, uh, or steps. Like, stair, like a staircase. So it's like, oh, the first few, first four are yama, niyama, asana, and then, and then when you go up, oh, samadhi is like, like the top of the stairs or like a mountain, you know, you reach the tip of the mountain, that is where samadhi is. I find all these depictions are actually very misleading because really that's not, <laughs> that's not how it is. It's more like the wheel where each one has, has its part to play and if if you try to skip anyone it's really not going to bode well right it might it might still work the wheel will still go but how how with what kind of stability with what kind of balance we don't know so again one more thing that i'm so grateful for ananda and to for having introduced uh to me is this concept of adhikara, adhikara yoga. These are the firm foundations upon which everything, you know, our yogic process, the yogic journey ought to be built. Now, what is adhikara? Adhikaratvam is eligibility. And adhikarin is one who is eligible, one who is fit for something. So, that is, you know, the opposite of yogi is a yogi. In Tamil, we'll say, oh, a yogin. He is one who is, I like, if, if I call someone an a yogin, then it's, it's like, I'm scolding that person. You know, what a, what a sinner, what a yogin. Basically, a yogin is someone who is not yoked, right? Someone who is separate from himself, someone who is not eligible, not fit. So an adhikarin here is someone who is um, primed, like who's, who's, who's ready, who is primed for the process, who is uh, you know, fit for, who is eligible for, who has gotten the basics and can build on from there. See, the foundations of anything is the most important. You take any building, you cannot build something without the foundation. The other day, my son was you know, tinkering and he built uh, a little house and uh, he built two houses with a bridge in between um, with the popsicle sticks and glue gun. So he had done that and he kept it on the table and this was out, outdoors where it was windy. So what happened was, um, the wind blew and the house, everything, whatever he had built, fell onto the ground and everything broke. And uh, he was very upset, but, but the whole point 
there, our learning there, it, it really struck me so hard when I saw, because I, I walked in and the, and the wind blew in and I saw the thing fall. So that moment, it was really, it struck me so hard because I, I realized that he had built this, this thing, but there was no foundation. There was, he, he didn't build a foundation. I mean, he didn't know, of course, because, um, I mean, he's seven. So <laughs> he didn't know to build a foundation. And uh, it was beautiful on top, like it was tall and, and, and everything. And there was a bridge up high as well. So I sat, you know, I sat with him. He was really upset. He was, he was so upset that it, the whole thing had been a disaster. And, you know, everything had, all his hard work had gone to waste. Um, but I thought it was such a beautiful moment because we had this conversation about how one needs to, for anything that you want to build, you have to have a foundation. And the stronger your base is, the wider your foundation is, the more stable your structure is going to be. So it got me thinking, I mean, I, I told this to him and I, and I told him, you know, all, everything in our life is like this as well that our foundations are so important. Our roots are so important. You look at a tree. Before you even see the tree grow, there's a lot that has already happened under the ground that we don't see, right? How deep are the roots? How wide are the roots? And without those roots, you cut the root, the whole thing's gonna die, right? So without those roots, one cannot you know, grow or maybe for a little while, but maybe maybe not as healthy, maybe not as big and strong, not to that, not to its full expression or fullest expression. It's just not going to happen. So the foundations are the most important. So what are these foundations? What is the base in this yogic process? That is what. Maharishi Patanjali has laid out as the yamas and the niyamas. The yamas and the niyamas form together, form what we can, we can you know, categorize or put together as adhikari yoga. No, this is not to say that once we have quote unquote achieved these yama niyamas that we can just forget them and, and then, you know, shoot to the to the stars or you know go to the next step step or like i said this this whole climbing the mountain imagery or climbing up the stairs or you know climbing the ladder imagery is all it doesn't work like that right but you need to strengthen that center section of the wheel and then you have the spokes right so that center section is the foundation that needs to be really, really, really strong. So once we are more aware of the yamas and niyamas, that practice goes on for life, right? It is a continuous practice. It is not that, oh, da, 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 I have achieved samadhi, I can forget about the yama niyamas from now on. It is like this ABC. You know, regardless of where we are in our education process, whether we are in middle school, whether we are in college, whether we are doing a postgrad, whether we are doing 30 years of research in wh whatever, whether it is 
our fifth PhD that we are you know, going after, you still cannot forget the basics. You cannot forget the ABCs, right? The thing is no one really thinks about that because at that point, once you are there, you're not really thinking about, okay, how do I write an A? We're not thinking about it. It, it's just, it just comes out like writing. It's not something that you think about. Why? Because it has been so ingrained in, in you already. Right? It's not like a separate process. It's so ingrained. Those neural connections have already been made and nicely strengthened. So that is how it is with the yamas and the niyamas. It's very important that we practice it and bring ourselves to that place where it is so ingrained in us. And really this, this, this foundation, when it is so strong, then the rest, cultivating the rest becomes a tad easier. It becomes a little more flowing. We're able to, to see a little more clearly. Because these foundations, what does it actually do to us? You know, we are human beings. <laughs> we are supposed to be human beings. But a lot of us are human doings. A lot of us are not even human. Right? We are stuck in this subhuman state. You know? Um, Anna, there was one article that he wrote and he, he Anna mentioned that we listen 10%. We understand or, or we misunderstand 50% and we react 100%. <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, this is so true. You know, how many of us listen and truly listen? How many times have we been in a conversation and we can just sit there and purely listen without forming any sort of judgments in our head, without keep without saying anything in return just keeping our mouth shut and just listening how many times can we do that physically opening keeping our mouth shut i mean we could do but how many time how much of that is the true silence within you know without our these thoughts coming in our head and going like oh man this he should have done this or he should have done like that why is he like this da, da, da. all these judgments that, that, that form in our head. How many times are we able to just, just listen? So 10% of the time, only 90% of the population is doing this 10% of 10% uh, listening. Huh? And then 50% mis misunderstand. Only 10% we are listening. In that 50% of that, half of that is misunderstood. <laughs> but the reaction comes out in full force. <laughs> so, I mean, this, and this is the state that we are in, right? That when we bring awareness to this, oh my goodness, when, when something arises, you listen to something and a thought arises or a judgment arises, just being aware of that. I'm not saying quell it. I'm saying just be aware that, hey, such a thing is, that's the practice. This is the foundational practice that one needs to, that we, we, we need to like cultivate within us, that we need to integrate within us. 
so this adhikaratvam one is you know i am a yogi or or i am in the yogic path this adhikaratvam is very very important you know we call it adhikaratvam eligibility um so the whole practice is actually just to strive for that eligibility you know i think um, in tantra one of the tantra yoga courses um michel described the the paths uh the chaturvita purushartha right so in in that to reach moksha even in the first step there are like some six sub steps which even the first one to attain it will take a lifetime right forget about going to moksha you know so it's <laughs> this foundational this adhikaratvam is is very very crucial a lot of times when you say oh eligibility people come back and go oh does that mean i am not eligible you know it it hurts the ego it says oh you know does it mean i'm not eligible or oh, yoga is only for so and so people uh yoga is not for everyone i thought you said yoga was for everyone what do you mean i can't do this you know and all it all stems from from either some sort of a misperception or you know that 50% misperception yes <laughs> some sort of a misperception or some sort of a self judgment right and we are all 100% willing to put ourselves down at any point of time right say how many conversations have we had with where we ourselves have said oh you know sorry i'm you know i'm always like this we so easily put ourselves down so easy it, it comes to us so easily to put ourselves down so that self judgment that's that misperception it all stems from there and that ego that is hurt it stems from there when when one says oh you know you need to have these foundations oh you've been practicing yoga for 30 years but you know we need to go back to to the to the yama oh no 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 i have practiced for for all my life there are so many people out here who who practice for or so called practice you know have been doing yoga and i'm and i'm putting all of this in quotes in air quotes um doing yoga for 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 decades but yet cannot cannot love themselves forget the next person there is very little love or or compassion for themselves you know and we see even so many yoga teachers in that state so many you know gurus uh, call themselves who call themselves gurus or uh, you know teacher of teachers and i'm i'm taking all these words from from descriptions that i that i have read before you know when they advertise this this particular course that i'm running then then about the teacher or about the guru or about the lecturer or about the presenter so all these words are seen uh, uh, in general so i'm not saying all of them everyone is like that <laughs> it's just that we see a lot of this right so it doesn't really matter how long whether you can stand on your hands or stand on your head what is your true practice that's where the authenticity really comes in are you authentic to yourself are you true to yourself you know can 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 i look in the mirror and 
look at my look at my my own reflection of my eyes and go i love you and be unconditional about that are we able to do that or if there is something that needs to be cleansed or something that needs to be uh, changed or that is that you know that is not serving you but you know that removing that might hurt your ego are you able to look at yourself and and admit to that or that something some practice something that you've been doing for a while maybe this thing that uh, i don't know on social media that uh, if we stop doing this you will lose all your followers can can i do that am i able to do that right so that that's where the adhikaratvam comes in because once we keep asking ourselves and keep doing that self check self reflection when we keep doing that then after a while all this won't even be like oh uh, i need to be eligible oh i need to be i need to be this i need to be good i need to be all this will float away it will it will melt away because the rest of the process the, the rest of the process will sort of find its flow and it will flow through within right the effort will slowly start reducing it's not that we start doing less uh, we start doing less but the effort in each thing will reduce right so as human beings <laughs> to go to become human beings right to be able to be to become more humane that is what this process of the this foundational this adhikara yoga this this foundational practices uh are about right to bring us out of that reptilian brain you know into the humane aspects of ourselves right where we can you know instead of going from from reaction to responsiveness can i go from reaction to responsive because the reaction happens in you know the brain stem that the, the lower brain right can i traverse that little distance that that gap in order to come to the frontal you know the prefrontal cortex and mindfully make certain decisions on how i would respond so it is that from reaction to response responsiveness is that gap just from back to front so it's very small <laughs> it's few microseconds but that's where the humanness that from from a subhuman nature from subhuman tendencies to being a human comes in from more basal qualities and from from even from like from the vitarkas that are there within us to be able to rise above and come to the divine qualities that are within you so practicing this yama niyamas the foundational practices are actually already a form of pratipaksha bhavana isn't it so cool no one's ever said that is so cool yes no one's ever told me that pers- that pers- perspective before i mean think about it what is pratipaksha bhavanam 
the practice I mean, of what, what is pratipaksha bhavanam what are we talking about here moving through opposites right right the extremes right so here when we talk about this yamaniyamas i am going from you know ahimsa from himsa to ahimsa from steya to asteya from parigraha to aparigraha right what what from subhuman to human from that fight flight mode to that rest digest mode i am really going from it is it is a practice of pratipaksha bhavana yeah so i'm moving from one i'm trying to pull myself out of that reactive mode to responsiveness and this is where responsibility comes in what is responsibility my ability to respond right it is so simple i say oh i am responsible for this i am responsible for that i am responsible for this but stop and think what does responsible mean i am able to respond so in any situation if i am able to stop look at what it is for what it is without any morality or any judgment attached to that whatever that thing is if i can just see it for what it is and then respond accordingly or not respond so responsibility meaning my ability to respond or not right to 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 be able to discern and know that there is a difference and know when i should apply the difference so this is so this this sort of moving in between and that so that practice is some some form of some form of titration right it it trickles down to to this so that's why i look at it as some form of pratipaksha bhavana and maybe we can talk a little bit more about that in in another time but let us go back to 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 the yamas so out of the foundations the first you know patanjali muni has really nicely beautifully laid out these 10 and uh, other other texts you know some have like 10 each there are uh, uh, like 10 yamas and 10 niyamas um but anyway the the i like to look at the, the basis as maharishi patanjali's um what he has stated in the sutras so what are these yamas that he's talked about ahimsa satya asteya uh, brahmacharya and aparigraha right these are the five so the first one uh, uh, before going into each one if we look at it really these five they are actually negations ahimsa non violence satya it's truthfulness but really it's non lying or you know moving away from what is the third one um thing aste asteya asteya this is non stealing you have non hoarding right brahmacharyam is not going into the extreme of 
of losing that energy, you know, saving that energy. So these are all actually negations. But, you know, when you say negation, again, the mind doesn't understand, our brains cannot understand negations. If I tell you, don't think about a monkey, I guarantee you every single person here has thought about a monkey in some form or shape or something, right? I say, don't think about a golden mango. That's the first thing you will think of, right? I tried this with my son. Na. I said, uh, Kanna, don't think about a blue monkey. And I said, you thought about a monkey, right? He said, no, I didn't. And he said, I thought about a blue mango. And I said, well, <laughs> it was blue. <laughs> Somewhere, even if you think that you can control, the mind is, is automatically going to gravitate towards something. There's no, the, the negation is not understood. So here, how do we apply this to our lives? I, I see this as, you know, when you want to rearrange anything in, the, in your room, let's say, if I want to clean up my room or I want to move certain things around to, to change the aesthetics or something, something like that, the first thing that we will do is pick up things that we don't need, right? If I move something around, if I'm, let's say I'm moving this table from the left side to the right side of the room, if there are certain things on that table that are not necessary or um, that are maybe weighing things down, they don't look good, something, you will remove it and throw it out. So this, this concept of minimalism is so big now. This uh, KonMari method and, and you know minimalism is such a, it's like a buzzword. But really, the more we minimize whatever is in that room, the greater the aesthetics become, the more beautiful it looks, and the more space that we have to do whatever we want to do, right? So these yamas are basically that, minimalism, trying to clear up whatever we don't need in our lives, that add to clutter. So all I'm doing is just picking stuff out that is just adding to the mess, right? Before I can do anything, before I add stuff to my life, before I add, I have to, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do this. If I have, before I write a checklist, I have to make sure that the paper is clean, right? If my paper already has a whole bunch of scribblings on it, there's no way I'm gonna be able to write a clean, uh, clear checklist that I can, work through, right? So what we're doing with the yamas is this clearing, this pulling out things that I don't need, you know? And that's why we can look at these as negations. I'm basically removing. So this practice is that of, like, I don't need this, I don't need that, I don't need this, you know? And anything, should be done in a progressive way. When we try to cold turkey anything, it's just horrible, right? It's not that it won't work. I mean, you can do that if, if, that's, if that's your jam. Again, again, I'm, I'm saying, I always say this, you do you, right? This is a process that's laid out and you can totally follow this. And, and it's been laid out, but you notice 
the process is there, but how you interpret each thing is really up to us. Right? That's the beauty of these sutras. They are so thin and sort of stripped down to the bare basics, but there is so much in there. You know, that's why in Sanatana Dharma, in this culture, there is no one way of doing anything. I mean, there are 7 billion people on the planet. No two people have the same fingerprint. How is it possible then for there to only be one way of doing something? If there are 7 billion people on the planet, then there are 7 billion ways of attaining Kaivalya, of reaching Kaivalya, right? If there are 7 billion people on the planet, there are 7 billion ways of practicing each of this Yamas, Ahimsa, Satya, Asteya, Aparigraha, Brahmacharya. So really, how you want to go about it, you do. But understand, really go into it. So there's always Shravanam, Mananam, Nididhyasanam. That is the process. Shravanam is to hear, to listen, not just hear, listen. Mananam is to bring that in, within, and you know, sit with it. Really process it. Nididhyasanam is the integration of that. So when you follow this, uh, this, these things, this minimalize, minimaling, minimaling, mm, minimalization. Yes. Okay. Minimalize. When we follow this minimalization of our, you know, lives, just to clear things up. You know, then things become so much clearer. We can do it in whichever way that suits our lives the best because ultimately one needs to integrate this into, we are not trying to make our lives look like someone else's. So no matter what we see on social media, because now there's so much of that around in the several decades ago, it wasn't, that was, it wasn't as difficult <laughs> now because of our exposure to this, it's, it's, it's an added challenge. So we should never try to make our life looks like, look like our neighbors or look like even anybody else in our families, right? If I have a sister, my life will look very different than my sister's, right? Because we each have our own path. It doesn't mean that even if both of us are on the yogic path, it will look completely different. I mean, here I'm saying this because my life, my yogic path and how I perceive things and how I absorb things and how grace flows through me and how I see it is completely different than my sister who also grew in the same, grew up in the same family, same guru, same yogic path, right? It looks, it's very different. And both of us, very different from my mother who brought this to us, so different. My father, again, has his, has his own journey, own path. But does that mean that we are all, you know, not on the yogic path? No. We all have our own. It's still going to and around Kaivalya. It's still the same wheel. It's still the wheel with all the everything in it. But it looks different. So one should never try to, to mirror or, or copy anyone else. 
this the sutras that's why they're so so then they're they're minimal in themselves <laughs> right <laughs> they're so minimal so few words used that that itself is like a, a hint to us that hey minimize your life right and use these techniques to you know these sort of negation things all the non 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 before you go in to the next step of niyamas where you bring in certain practices into your daily being This is such a beautiful segue into our next episode. So we'll save the niyama for the, the niyamas for our next episode together. We haven't finished the yamas. No, we're no, we have not. No, we, we have not touched on the yamas. Yes, yes, we'll touch a little bit more. Um, I, I'm so thankful to be able to sit here because I feel like this is a, a huge gift for me personally to just be able to learn from you. Um, so thank you so much for sharing. I think this is why I feel so called to this practice because I was grew up with a belief system where it wasn't the same way. It wasn't how you are is perfect. Yes. You don't need to change. Yes. You can, this is to help you live more authentically yourself. Yes. Because the universe has created you how you're supposed to be. Absolutely. The, you know, when we say the universe, what is this universe? How many universes are there? We talk about this multiverse, you know, there's this movie that has come out, you know, maddening, maddening multiverse. And oh no, sorry, multiverse of mad. I'm, I'm getting it wrong. What, what, what is it? Multiverse uh, of madness? Avengers movies that are multiverse of madness. I think that's the movie. So how many universes are there really? If there are 7 billion people on earth, there are 7 billion universes. Because what is, what is each, each one of us are living in our own universe, really. What is the center of this universe? If we ask, what is the center of this universe? I am the center of this universe. We all are the center of our own universes. And if we go further and ask, what is that the axis around which this universe is revolving. That is our spine. That is why it's called the yoga danda. That is why in every practice, in every class, we will notice, or in any practice, not, not class, I mean, in any of these practices where, or if you're sitting in, in for dhyanam or uh, sitting to do pranayama or in any of these postures, all the poses, the spine is given the utmost, utmost importance. Say that, keep your spine stacked, right? If you're sitting cross-legged, make sure that you are seated upright. What is that seated upright for? So that your spine is stacked. It's not straight. I mean, we know physiologically that your spine is actually not straight, right? But it is stacked. So in the most comfortable way that you can be upright, so uh, I think, was it Iyengar who mentioned that uh, every asana is a tadasana? Yes. So what, is, what does that mean? Right? It doesn't matter how you are pretzeled up. 
ultimately keeping your axis aligned is what will enable your universe to revolve smoothly so it is not so it's really he wasn't talking about the posture or the asana like asana meaning pose posture but he really wasn't talking about each physical pose in in like like a, a class but really the positions that we are in our lives you know we are in this physical body so keep keep yourself upright right that's what differs us from from our four legged friends right we are the only ones who have our spines upright everyone all the other beings have their spines horizontal to the ground right we are the only ones who have it upright so then that puts on that additional you know hint to the universe <laughs> our universe is giving us the hint that hey you are human now make sure your foundations are there and so that you can be more humane so that there is a difference between you and how you react we should not be reacting the same way a cheetah will react right there is a difference there and that is that now our spine is upright and that we have that ability to respond which is where the basis of this entire adhikara yoga the yama niyamas come thank you so much for that mikela i also wanted to i i wanted to to touch on something that you just mentioned you said that you are so happy to be sitting here learning from me really we are all learning from each other right and anything that is being said here whatever you say or i say or whatever it's not you or i saying it it's whatever's flowing through there is nothing new right nothing new that uh, that whoever's listening to us whoever's in sangha with us right now doesn't already know this is all things that we are all we already know because that light is within us only yeah the grace that flows through us is within us and it's flowing through us right if you are not here whatever is coming through me will not be coming through me i am so grateful for that for your presence because that is what is bringing all this out so whatever is being said i am listening to it myself and marveling at it <laughs> because i am not saying it right so th- th- that's that's also the practice right how we can step out and just listen to ourselves because what is coming through is pure grace right divinity so really we are not there is no you know when you say oh teacher and student that is still a, it's still a dwandvam it is still a duality there it is when the teacher realizes that the teacher is nothing without the student i mean if you don't need 100 students you just need one i mean the bhagavad gita was told to arjuna single one person right the whole big 700 verses was only taught to one person did krishna come complaining that oh man i had this whole 
big great grand philosophy so many yogas uh, in there you know i spoke about this spoke about that and there was only one person to listen to it <laughs> krishna didn't come complaining about that no but there's so much wisdom in there right so it is with without the student there is no teacher and without the teacher there is no student so this guru shishya relationship it's not one of on top of the step and then below the step right it is one of mutual respect how that respect is transmitted is really between the shishya and the the guru right this as as disciples as students we always learn from the lotus feet because that's where the the maximum grace flows through and we can talk more about this in another episode maybe also i don't want to take away from i'm from the focus i'm so enthralled though i could just sit here and and yes um absolutely we will be back together to talk very soon thank you so much again for your time and for sharing space with everyone here it's been awesome and i can't wait to chat with you again i hope all the listeners have a beautiful rest of the day yes have a wonderful time have a wonderful day and be well and just be just be just be just be let us close yes a short uh, prayer of gratitude oh om sarvesham swasthir bhavatu sarvesham shantir bhavatu मंगलमयाद्राणी पश्यू मचिदुखभागे असतो मत्कमय तमसो मोतिर्तमय मृत्योर्मात गमय Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Samastha Aparadam Kshamastha Samastha Aparadam Kshamastha Samastha Aparadam Kshamastha Hari Om Tatsat Guru Shrimatrinam Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see everyone next time.